0: Thank you very much. I love how now we are having these talks on a podcast. So good morning to all the international listeners out there. Great to have you with us and to my mum as well. I'm really excited to be starting this new series, The Habits of Happiness. A series that came from Saddleback Church in the US. A church led by Rick Warren. And as we've said, it goes through the book of Philippians, an amazing letter that Paul gives to the church in Philippi. I think that this is going to speak to us in a number of ways over the next few months. As we look at what happiness means to the church in Philippi, to what it means to us, to what it meant for Paul. What are the habits of happiness? I think it's going to speak to us theologically as we delve deeper into this book and, delve and grow deeper in our relationship with God. I think it's going to really speak to us personally in looking at ourselves, our own, and um, where we're at. What does happiness look like for us? But then also practically as we look at how do we engage and relate to others. And the habits of happiness has been a real journey for me, building habits that are positive. Something that was really big for me this year was being part of the release group at church and breaking free from habits that weren't helpful and building habits that were far more positive, breaking free from those dependencies. Rick Warren, in introducing this series to his church, he said that you were meant to live free from worry, from resentment and shame, but it won't happen by chance. And we'll be looking at those themes over the next few months and looking at what are the key habits to find freedom, to help us walk closer with Jesus in our relationship with him. So I want to get straight into the passage. I'll be looking today at um, Philippians 1, 1 to 11, and it's um, it's on the screen. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons, grace and peace to you from God. It is right for me to feel this way about you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now it's clear through this letter, isn't it, that Paul loved this church deeply. It's full of thanksgiving and encouragement. Now, I am someone who deeply loves words of affirmation. So if I was to be reading this letter, I would be absolutely buzzing. It's one of the happiest books in the Bible. Definitely one of Paul's happiest letters. Yet, really interestingly, he wrote it whilst he was in prison. He wrote it whilst he was facing persecution from lots of different angles. His circumstances wasn't great, yet his stance was to look to God, was to praise him, was to chase his name. In the New Testament Greek, the word joy occurs five times in the book of Philippians. The verb to rejoice occurs 11 times. There are only 104 verses Yet Jesus' name or his title features 51 times. You know, it's clear what Paul's central objective was in this letter. To have joy and to rejoice in Jesus. That was his message to the church in Philippi. Something that Warren does as he, um, as he uh, shared this message to his church In unpacking what happiness is, what happiness meant for the church in Philippi, he looks at some crucial laws that I think give us a really good basis at looking at happiness as we go through this series. So they're on the screen, just a few different points that I want to go through quickly. So don't look for happiness, create it. It's easy, isn't it, to look for happiness in the wrong places. I've certainly done that before, making really good things, God things, that can distract us. We can look for happiness where we won't find it. And this was important for Paul in his own position in prison, to look at the bigger picture, look at the purpose, the plan that God had for him. Secondly, happiness is not a goal, it's the result of right thinking. <clears throat> Crucially, it's not a destination that we get to, but it's our mindset, it's our, it's our values as we travel to that destination. It was Paul's purpose that kept him going, kept him going through the battles that he was facing. Through the planting of those churches, through ministering to them, it was the purpose, that's what kept him focused. Number three, our habits create our happiness. Happiness being a choice. There are many examples where good habits can lead us on to being more happy, whether it's making a habit of spending Time with people that we like. People that really build us up, that really affirm us. Or maybe doing things that are good for us, eating well, what have you. Paul clearly had habits that helped him in his happiness. Choosing to not look behind at what had happened to him, but look ahead to forever. Looking ahead to the eternity that was promised. By God, promised in heaven. Number four, happiness based on happenings is temporary, but happiness based on habits is long-lasting. Now, last week, I wasn't at church because I was actually running in the Manchester Half Marathon. Now, I was wondering whether I should share this today because I don't want to share that to boast. But I was thinking, actually, there was a habit there. Now I'm not much of a runner. I'm more—I um, don't really know what my natural physical pursuit is. But it wasn't running. I had to really build the habit of doing that running many times a week. Running when it was raining. Running when it was dark. I never really got the running um, before work in the morning. But I was—I had to really build the consistency, build the habit of running. And I set off on the Manchester half marathon. And the first mile went really well. The second mile went really well as well. It was about mile three or four that I was starting to think, Tokyo could be, the next Olympics could be on the cards for me. I was like, what is going on? I'm not stopping, I'm getting in my ear, the speed that I'm going at, and it's keeping on going. Mile six to mile seven, things started to change. Mile eight, I thought I was about to explode. Mile nine, it wasn't pretty at all. Very quickly, it became more of a battle. My happenings, where I was in that moment, wasn't great. I was not happy. But it was the habit. It was the habit of the, um, those many runs in the months before that was able to get me through And that goal at the end, seeing that finish line, as I stumbled along at a far, far slower pace than I started, that's what got me there. So I hope that's helpful, those laws of happiness. And let's be thinking of those as we go through the different themes and chapters of Philippians in the next few um, weeks. Crucially, Paul found joy in the chains that he was facing. Today, I want to focus on our relationships. What are the habits in our relationships that we can build? Paul, we see through his relationship with Philippians, loads of stuff, but also through his relationship with God. And I think it's really key relationships to our happiness. It is the essence of Christianity, having a relationship with God. We were created for relationship by a relational God who longs to be in relationship with us. There's a well known African proverb that my dad really loves, and it says that if you want to go somewhere fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. It's crucial, community. Relationship within community. And Paul tells us four different things about his relationship to the church in Philippi that I think can become key relational habits for us in, um, yeah, how we, um, how we are with people alongside us. But then also in pointing each other to Jesus. So what are they? The next slide, please. First of all, to be grateful. Now Paul starts this letter in the same way that he starts all of his letters, in saying grace and peace to you from God. Grace and peace, that is the greeting that he chooses to use. But it's a really interesting one because by saying grace and peace, it's so much more than just a greeting it's a blessing as well. And it's a blessing to a church that's in a really interesting time. You have the church in Philippi would have been a mixture of Jewish and Gentile people. The word grace comes from the Greek word charis. An amazing word about undeserving love, about the freedom that God gives us, the creativity that God gives us. That is what Paul is speaking over this church, but then also peace coming from the Hebrew word shalom. Peace being not just the absence of conflict, but peace within the conflict, and the church in Philippi would have been facing that. They would have been facing persecution from within, from outside, and Paul really wants to encourage them. So this is not just a greeting, but a blessing of unity, speaking to both the Greek and the Hebrew, grace and peace. It seems a lot more powerful than the hellos, the hays, the highs that we share today. Paul had an attitude of gratitude in the way he spoke and the way he um, was grateful for the church in Philippi. In Philippians 1 verse 3 in NIV it says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In the NLT it says, Every time I think of you, I give thanks. I give thanks to my God. We see the value, we see the love that Paul shares with this church. I wonder when we think of the people in our own lives, is gratitude automatically our first thought? Are we grateful for the people that are around us? I found this to be quite a struggle myself. A struggle of comparison that I've had before and looking what other people alongside me have and wishing that I was more like that. Maybe I had that skill, that ability. And God really convicted me in that. In comparison being really the thief of joy. The thief of our happiness distracting us so much from what we do have and being thankful for the people alongside us and instead making us live away from joy and in envy? How can we be more grateful for the people alongside us? Because it's easy to take people for granted, isn't it? I think what's crucial is, is gratefulness. It doesn't just come naturally. It may be to some of us. But to a lot of us, it's a, really, it's a developed habit. I wonder, who have we forgotten to thank? Are we thanking God for the people in our lives? Thanking God for what they have done, for how they have um, helped us along our way. I loved how Kim just shared so much thankfulness in her testimony this morning. It's so important, walking with thankfulness hearts are we speaking over others with joy words of real light words of of life you know I wonder are we being hard on other people are we being too hard on them maybe like a coconut I love a visual in a preach so I'm going to go with this one see how it happens Do we have a hard shell with those that we are in relationship with? Are we hard on other people? Now, I accidentally threw this coconut at George Maynard this morning, and it is, I can confirm, it does have a really hard shell. Can we be closed to others? Can we be bitter? Or maybe, are we more accessible like a peach, a bit softer? A bit more gracious. Crucially in this, in, in being grateful, in being thankful, I think it really starts, it's really, it's really at the foundation, is prayer, prayer being right at the heart. So how can we be prayerful? How can we keep prayerful? Amazing um, what Paul says in this letter about Prayer. In Philippians 4-5, um, um, to five, it says, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, Paul was right behind them. He was rallying them on. His heart was for them. He wanted to see them do well. There was no comparison. There was no envy. Rick Warren says that the quickest way to change a bad relationship to a good one is to start praying for them. Because it will change you, but it can also change them. Prayer changes things, doesn't it? And later on in this passage, Paul gives a range of different ways, a range of different insights into how he is praying for the church in Philippi between verses 9 and verses 11 he's praying that they will grow in love as he says that love may abound more and more he's praying that they would make wise choices that they'll be able to discern what's best he's praying that they will live with integrity that they'll be pure and blameless He's praying that they would crucially, above all, become more like Jesus. That they'll be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. I think that's a great guidance in how we can be praying for others. That they'll grow in love, they'll make the right choices, they'll have integrity and they'll become more like Jesus. It's a big challenge for me. I often find it's so easy to forget to be praying for others alongside because I can be so focused on my own prayer needs. What's going on for me? The reality is this, that relationships are messy. For my breakfast, I actually had a peach today. And I can prove that it is messy to eat. There's no other way around it. So are our relationships. We need to be bringing God right into them. Bringing God into the mess. Let him do what he does. Number three, expecting the best of others. It says in verse six of this passage, I am confident of this, that God who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul trusted in God's plan. He trusted in his power to work through the church in Philippi. Paul had a lot of responsibility here in seeing these churches, these hubs really grow across the land. He could see churches like in Corinth, like in um, Colossae, who were getting it really, really wrong. They're making lots of mistakes. He really wanted to affirm the church in Philippi. He had great confidence in them. He had great confidence in what God wanted to do through them. He had a mindset of, of how far these people had come, not how far they had to go. And Paul sought to bring out the best within them. So he believed in God for their best. He gave the church the vision and he was patient as well. He was patient with their progress. I wonder, do we need to practice more patience in those with others when we feel let down by them? Do we have the approach of a coconut where we're not just hard to connect with, but we're hard on others when we feel let down? Or maybe, like the peach, do we have that grace? Are we softer? But crucially, the peach isn't soft all the way through. I don't have a tomato with me today, But a tomato being soft right through to the middle, there needs to come to a point where there is a real truth, there is a strength in the heart. And that is what a peach has. In John 1, verses 14, it talks about how we should have truth and grace with other people. We should have grace being that arm around the shoulder. But we should have truth as well. In, as, we, um, as we support other people, as we relate to other people. Truth and grace. And then ultimately, loving the people in our lives like Jesus. What a habit that is. A habit to build. In verses 7 to 8, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you. Since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Jesus Christ. I love that as it starts. Since I have you in my heart. Paul doesn't allow his circumstances. He doesn't allow the pain to affect his love for this church. He was invested in the relationship. And he, he sought to, to show Jesus to them, to love like Jesus did as he affirmed what they were doing, as he wrote these words of encouragement and life to them. Jesus was at the core for Paul. Because at the core, that is where the strength is, isn't it? In being a peach over a coconut. The peach is softer on the outside, but it's hard on the inside. Whereas if you were to crack open this coconut, of course, it gets softer on the inside. The substance isn't. There. There isn't the core. There isn't the heart. The peach is different. It's Jesus working through our hearts, working through those habits, those habits of gratitude, those habits of prayer, those habits of of grace that help us love others like Jesus loves. It's not easy, but it's Jesus. That does it. As I said earlier, Paul chose forever over his present circumstances rather than wallowing in the pain, wallowing in what he was up against in that moment in prison. He saw the promise of forever. He saw the eternity. And for all of us that know Jesus, that is a promise. That is for us as well, eternity with Jesus Making that choice to follow him. That choice to look beyond our circumstances. Now that's not an easy one, is it? To look beyond what we're facing now because, and I know there'll be many people here today that are up against some really horrific stuff. I don't want to trivialise that whatsoever. But through God, by his spirit, he helps us in making that choice. In choosing the forever. And crucially, as I close, it's about, it's about choosing and not to chase happiness. I thought I would share a story, a story that I think brings at home about how if we just seek to um, we just seek to chase happiness, where will it lead us? And this story takes place. In a village. And there is an old man there. Now this was one of the most unfortunate people in the whole world. The whole village was tired of him. He was always gloomy. He constantly complained. He was in a bad mood, whatever happened. The longer he lived, the more and more poisonous were his words. People were said to avoid him. Because of his misfortune, it just felt contagious. It felt unnatural to be happy next to him. He just created the feeling of unhappiness in others. I'm not describing anyone in the church, by the way. But one day, this man, he got to 80 years old, and an incredible thing happened. Instantly, everyone heard the rumour, the old man is happy today. He doesn't complain about anything. He smiles and even his face just feels lighter. The whole village gathered together and the old man was asked, what happened to you? Nothing special, he answered. Eighty years I've been chasing happiness and it was useless. And then I decided to live without it and just to enjoy life. And this is why I'm happy now. You know, ultimately, those habits being key, those habits building happiness, that is what makes the difference in affecting the way we relate, the way we love others. And Paul knows that the secret to holding love and affection for others is to let that love of Jesus flow through us and overflow and outpour into our relationships. I wonder today, what are the habits that we need to build into our relationships? Is it around gratitude for those that are walking with us? Who do we need to be praying for? Where do our expectations need to change? Who do we need to have more belief in? And what does it mean for us to love like Jesus? Because those choices that we can make, they can become actions. And those actions become habits. Thank you.